Good morning. We're reading this morning from Revelation 22, uh, verses 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and the name and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for uh, putting balloons on my lectern. I appreciate it. No, uh, Ashley and I really do appreciate um, all your guys' love and support. It is... Uh, oh, geez. What? Oh. Oh, wow. I got signs. Thank you so much. This is a great way to start a message. No, that's great. Except for the Cyclone ones, which was Tim. And he's got a football team. And he's got a... He's counting money. It's all right. He's got a team that's better than my team now, and it's frustrating me. Anyways. All right. All right. All right. Well, we do appreciate all of you, and we thank you for being here this morning. Um, have, were any of you those type of uh, young people, those kids who always wanted to be a little older than you actually were? You can raise your hand if you were. You were always striving to be at the adult table, right, during Thanksgiving. You were always trying to listen in on grown-up conversations so that you know, knew what was happening in, in the room next to you, maybe. Maybe you were the type of kid who uh, actually tried to listen in on your mom's phone calls with your aunt to see what was happening in the family. These were the types of things I did growing up. I always wanted to be older than I actually was. I remember when uh, in elementary school, I was riding the bus into school and somebody started talking about the year 2000. And I just, I remember sitting there on the bus just completely in awe and going, in the year 2000, I'm gonna be 16 and I'm gonna be able to drive a car. And I could not believe how profound that statement was. Um, I always, always, always wanted to be older than I was. Uh, And I think this is, for most kids, part of the way they function, right? Uh, But a lot of times for, for kids, it comes out in that way that often happens when you ask a child, what do you want to be when you grow up? right? What do you want to be when you grow up? And many of them have answers to that question. Uh, for, for a while, I wanted to be a storm chaser because I really liked the movie Twister, right? And then Jurassic Park came out when I was in second grade, so I thought paleontologist would be a good fit for a little while. My wife Ashley wanted to be a garbage person, uh, this is not to denigrate any garbage people in the room. It's a noble profession. Uh, but my, for some reason, Ashley thought it would be great to pick up people's garbage with a little paper, uh, a, a clip on her nose. She thought it would be a really great thing. We don't know where that came from. Uh, most of the time, we get 
uh, these somewhat crazy ideas in our head about what we want to be when we get older, and these ideas don't, thank you, these, these ideas don't really pan out, do they? <laughs> oh, jeez. That's a really big sign. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, <laughs> these ideas don't really pan out, do they? Uh, and if they did pan out, we would have so many astronauts that we wouldn't know what to do with them all, right? There would just be astronauts lining up for food stamps everywhere we went, right? And so it's good that it's just it's good that we don't uh, we don't all become that thing that we thought we were going to be when we were little kids. But some of us do, right? Everybody knows that friend or had that had that acquaintance in high school who wanted to be something when they grew up, and they were kind of laser-focused, and they had a vision for their future, and they, they knew what they wanted to be and become, and so they did, right? They became a marine biologist, or uh, they became a botanist, or what have you. Uh, but the point uh, of all of this is that they had in their minds, these people who actually determine and do the thing that they want to do with their lives, they have, a, they have a vision in their, in their minds and their hearts of what they actually want to do and be. They have a picture of the future in their heads. And then they take the proper steps to get to that future. And, they, and they're able, in some real sense, to actually make that happen, to actually bring it into existence, to actually become what they wanted to be because of their vision, because of the picture they had of this preferred future for themselves. You see, the vision for the future that you have in your heart is a kind of window into your soul because it tells us something significant about what you or I think is important. It tells us something about what we think is valuable, truly valuable. And it is people who don't have a picture of their future and who don't hope for their future that often end up slightly aimless, right? It's people who don't have a picture of the future who kind of wander from thing to thing like a, like a rudderless ship out in the ocean. And it's for this reason that the end of the story, the end of any story is really, really important. Because the destination that a story is heading, the end of it tells us something significant about how important the journey was that led to that ending, and the story of the Bible is interesting because it gives us the ending of the story of God's plan of redemption and renewal even before we get to that place. Even before we are actually at the end of the story, the Bible gives us the end of the story. And that's what we're talking about here today. We're concluding our series that we've been calling One Big Story that's all about the story of the Bible from, from Genesis to Revelation, from the beginning to the end. We see the Bible, the, the entire corpus of Scripture, as one big story, one narrative that God is telling about His plans and purposes in the earth. Now, everything that has happened up until this point in our sermon series uh, has been past or maybe slightly present tense, right? So, uh, Jesus, uh, in everything we've talked about happened in the past. It was the Old Testament, right? We, we talked for a, a number of weeks about things that happened in the Old Testament. Jesus himself, who we talked about three weeks ago, lived 2,000 years ago, right? And the church as a movement that began, began in the ancient past and has carried through to today. So, it, what, what started as the church 2,000 years ago is now, in some sense, a present tense thing. That's a part of the story that we're in 
currently. But today we're looking at the end of the story that is given to us in Scripture. And the end of the story is interesting because just like the vision or the picture for the future that a child may have in their head that determines how they live in the present, 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 the Scripture completes the story of God's plan of redemption and renewal because it is meant to instill in us a vision for our future. It's meant to put something inside of us that affects the way we live our present lives. Now, maybe you have heard this phrase before. Sometimes someone will say, uh, usually of another person and usually of a church-going person, that a particular individual is so heavenly-minded that they are no earthly good. Have you ever heard that phrase? It's kind of antiquated, I know. Nobody. Nobody's heard that phrase. Three people, great. Well, there's a phrase out there (laughs) that is often said that someone is is so heavenly-minded, right, that they're of no earthly good. Like they're just kind of walking around with their head in the clouds, right? Well, I would argue, I would, I would argue that the scriptures, that the story of the scriptures given to us is attempting to get that the get something across to us. And what they're trying to get across to us is the exact opposite of that phrase. We are given a picture of where it is all heading precisely so that we can be of the most earthly good. Because if you read the story of the the Bible is telling well, you will see that in fact earthly good is what the whole story was about in the first place. Is what the whole story was about in the first place. In Genesis 1, if you have your Bibles, you can flip over there. In Genesis 1, verse 31, after God has completed the uh, six days of creation, after he's uh, created the earth and all of these things, there's this one phrase that's used to talk about how the value of that thing that God created. And in verse 31, this is what it said. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Actually, six times in chapter 1 of Genesis, God looks at the creation, looks what he has made, look at the work that he has done and says, this is good. This is good. Now, if you turn over uh, to chapter 2, the same thing happens as God creates man from the dust of the earth. And beginning in verse 7 of chapter 2, this is what it says. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden, a garden in the east of Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for, good for food. The middle, and in the middle of the garden where, the, where was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there, it was separated into four headwaters. You see, the beginning of the story of the Bible, God created a good world, And he created a garden with streams and with trees. But one tree in particular takes center stage, right? The tree of life. Now, if you were with us when we talked about the fall, you you would know that all all this stuff, this kind of perfect Edenic state that we call it, uh, did not last, that things kind of fell into ruin. 
But what's important to remember is that the garden and the tree and humanity were all created good. That there was an inherent goodness to what God had made. He valued it as a good thing. Now turn back over in your Bibles, all the way back to Revelation uh, to 22, the chapter that we, uh, that, uh, we read today for our teaching text. You're basically jumping from the very front of the Bible today to the very end. And this is what it says, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 22. I'm just going to reread it for us. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb, down the middle of the street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing, notice that, tree of life, bearing 12 crops of, uh, of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. No longer, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God uh, and the Lamb of God will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. When you read the story of the Bible, when you read it from beginning to end, right, when you read it in its totality, what you realize is that it's this amazing, beautiful, and unified plan that all hinges on the person of Jesus, but is heading in this amazing and restorative restorative direction. Notice the similarities in the passage from Revelation as to the passage in, in Genesis. We have rivers, right? We have crystal clear waters. Where there once was a garden, you now have a city, right? And remember in Genesis, if, if you've read that book, you'll know that God partners with humanity, and He, he asks humanity to not just uh, work the field, but he actually asked them to be creative, right? To build and to create. And so, in the res- this restored creation that we read about in Revelation, you have that, right? You have, a, you have improvement on what God had made before, because God wasn't just, uh, hadn't, didn't create the garden in a static way, but rather he, he longed to partner with humanity to see it bettered or improved, or not even, not even improved, but to see more creativity happen. Creation has leveled up a little bit, right, in this particular passage. And you have these two trees, right? You have these two trees, both called the tree of life. Both at the beginning of the, beginning of the Bible and the end of the Bible are tied together by these two trees, by this beautiful picture of God's summing up of everything. The, the beginning of the story and the end of the story are intricately tied together. The New Testament scholar uh, N.T. Wright puts it this way. He says, it is the, uh, he's speaking of uh, this passage that we just read out of Revelation. It is the final fulfillment in rich symbolic imagery of the promise of Genesis 1 that the creation of male and female would, re- would together reflect God's image in the world. And it is the final accomplishment of God's great design to defeat and abolish death forever, which can only mean the rescue of creation from its, pleasant, from its present plight of decay. The picture the Bible gives us of how this story is going to end is that God is in the process and will one day finally rescue and restore all that He has made. God will not abandon that which he originally made 
and he certainly is not going to just scrap the whole thing and start over again. I said at the beginning of this message that, the, that our hope for the future of a renewed and restored creation should affect the way we live in the present. Remember uh, that person who is uh, so heavenly-minded that they're of no earthly good? The idea only works, it only works if heaven and earth are separate things, right? That have nothing to do with one another. But the story we have in the Bible tells us that heaven and earth are made for one another. That, they are, that there, there is coming a time when the, the heaven and earth will kind of crash into one another. Again, N.T. Wright puts it this way. He says, you really understand earth only when you are equally familiar with heaven. You really know God and share his life when you understand that he is the creator and lover of earth just as much as heaven. Do you guys remember the prayer? It's often called the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. It's in a couple places in your New Testament. It's commonly called the Lord's Prayer, and it is the Lord's Prayer. Uh, but it can kind of be seen as Jesus's manifesto, right? His mission for the disciples and his mission on earth kind of boiled down into a prayer, and that's why we pray it, to remind ourselves of what the mission of people who follow Jesus is. And in that prayer, after acknowledging that God is holy, our Father who art in heaven, holy or hallowed or holy be your name, he says, this, this is the line, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I've always found this part of the prayer a little interesting because it would seem to mean that Jesus' followers are supposed to pray, make up there, come down here, right? And very often when the word uh, heaven is used, it's just a directional word. It just means up there uh, in Greek. As, as things are where God is, may they be like that here. This is, what the, this is what the Lord's Prayer is. And implicit in that prayer is the idea that we would be uh, participants or we would be a part of making that happen, right? In our prayer, in our praying and in our living as followers of Jesus, we would be a people who are actively attempting to bring up there, down here. And this, in essence, is what happens at the end of the story of the Bible, right? Up there does come down here. If you read Revelation 21 and 22, and I would encourage you to do that, uh, we often don't get to it because the rest of Revelation is so confusing. We can barely get through it. But just open your Bibles this week to the end of the book of Revelation, Revelation 21 and 22, and you'll, you'll discover this beautiful picture of heaven and earth kind of crashing into one another, of, of the sphere in which God is and this human uh, reality that is the earth kind of coming to this meeting. The, the image we have in Revelation is like, um, is of a wedding, of a bridegroom and a bride. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And then this uh, and in this kind of coming together, this uh, when up there comes down here, down here is not destroyed, right? Down here is not put asunder. It's, it's not destroyed. What happens to the down here part of uh, that equation is that it's restored and renewed. Some stuff is destroyed at the end. Death is destroyed. 
sin is wiped out, but everything that was good and pleasing and lovely, everything that was of the kingdom of God, remains. It remains. And the point of all of this is that what we do matters. God gives us a vision of the future that is coming towards us. But until that time, Christians are people who pray this prayer and participate with God in His plan of redemption in the present because we hope for the future. We do not follow Jesus simply because we believe in His ability to provide us with fire insurance. That's not the point. We follow Jesus because we want to actively participate in His plan to make all things new. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is what it means to have a vision for the future that is at the end. As he, and Jesus, in Revelation 22, has this amazing phrase where He just says, Behold, I'm making all things new. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. You see, the Christian faith has this picture, this vision of the future, so that we can partner with God in the present to see up there come down here. Christianity is not a waiting game, right? Christianity is not a waiting game. It is not believe in Jesus and then just kind of wait to die or wait for God to, or for Jesus to return. This is not what Christianity has ever been about. It is about joining God in His plan of redemption and renewal. This starts with individual hearts being reconciled to God. That's where it starts. But it should extend to everything else in our vicinity as well. Because in Jesus, you can be made a new creation where the old things have passed away and, the, and new possibilities are now open to you. And you can partner with God to see up there come down here. You know, some of the most impactful, some of the most significant people in my own life are, pe are people uh, who have not uh, just come to this belief that, uh, that they just need to follow Jesus and wait for something to happen. This belief that it's kind of all just going to pass away and that what, what really matters is that I just love Jesus and keep to myself, right? Most of the people I know are, uh, who uh, are really impactful, are really significant in my life, are people who have allowed this teaching to kind of sink down into their hearts. They've, they've let it seep into every part of their lives. And wherever they go, they kind of transform the atmosphere of wherever they are, whatever room they happen to be in. It feels a little lighter, right? It feels a little bit more energetic. And it is almost, and they never do this, almost never, in a kind of spooky spiritual way, right? And I think you all know what I'm talking about. It is almost always in a way that values and loves life. These people tend to laugh a lot. If you, if you run into somebody who thinks they're very spiritual and they have no sense of humor at all, probably not. Just saying, probably not. Uh, not to pass any judgment on anybody, but probably not. A lot of them, a lot of these people are very artistic. They love beautiful things. 
they, they really love, some of these people really love getting out in nature and exploring God's creation. They usually like to eat great food also, and this is why I like them so much, because I also enjoy this. And they know that the good that they do now in the present, uh, in the light of Jesus and His resurrection, that those good things that they do now are kind of like building blocks of the city that we see coming down out of heaven at the end of the story of the Bible. God will be the one to put those blocks together. God will be the one to form His kingdom. God will be the one to organize uh, this, this end times reality. But we get to take part in it today, even if it's a small part. Uh, of building the kingdom that the city of God, uh, that, that we see of the city of God at the end of the book of Revelation. God longs to partner with the church, as the Bible often refers to the church as Christ's body or bride. How beautiful and empowering that God longs to partner with the church to see His kingdom come. He's not doing it unilaterally, but he longs to see us as active participants in this grand story, this grand narrative that is the Scriptures. He longs uh, that we would be active participants in his plan of redemption and renewal. And how needed in a world where Christians are often portrayed as hateful, spiteful, vindictive, judgmental, is this vision of what we are called to do and to be. People called by the name of Jesus ought not to be that way, right? We ought to be people living in the light of the end of the story, living in, and this is the biblical word for the end of the story, hope. Hope. When the Bible uses that word hope, it's a shorthand for this, uh, for what we're talking about today. The story of the Bible tells us that the end of the story tells us the end of the story so that we can live with a vision and purpose of joining God in His plan of renewal and redemption. This is why we are told about the end of the story. We said earlier that the vision you have for the future is a window into your soul because it tells us something about what you think is important. So I want to ask all of us today, what's your vision of the future? When you think about your future, what's the vision that you have in your heart and your mind? What, what's the vision for your future that, that uh, compels or pulls out your actions today, right? What is that? Because that will tell us, if, and it will tell you what you think, what you truly believe at the core of your being is truly important. What you are striving for in the present will tell you much about what you think ultimately is important. And what is it that you are ultimately working to build? Is it your own kingdom? Is it your own kind of fiefdom? I don't know. Do we have fiefdoms anymore? I'm pretty sure we don't. Or are you kind of rudderless, right? Are you just kind of moving from thing to thing with no real hope for your future? which is, I think, where a vast majority of Americans are in our day. There is not, there is, you know, there's no one narrative anymore that anybody lives by, and so everybody is kind of 
scraping for their own narrative. They're, they're trying to kind of uh, make sense of their own lives by cobbling together different stories, different ideas, different pictures of what we're called to do and be. But my, encourage you, my encouragement for you today is to lean into this grand story that the Bible is telling us. To lean into the reality of the story that God is unfolding in our earth. Begin to live into the greatest story ever told. And you will gain hope. You'll gain vision. You'll gain purpose and direction. You will see your life open up and blossom in ways that you would never thought possible as you are going about the business of bringing up there down here. It's a beautiful call of what Christians are called to do. And if you live this story right? If you, if you live into the story that the Bible is telling, if you catch this vision for God's good future coming towards us, then you, can, uh, you get to be a part of the greatest story ever told. You get to be a part of something so much bigger and grander and more significant than just uh, what we might be able to cobble together in our own lives. And your soul will be full of light and purpose and life so much so that you might not be able to handle it fully. As you partner with God, as He remakes the ground under your very feet. You see, the, the point of God showing us the end of the story, the purpose behind it is not so that we can all sit in a room and put together timelines. It's not. The point is so that we can be uh, a people, a community of Jesus followers who have a vision for what God longs to do and long to partner with Him in the here and now, bringing up there down here. You see, this is why what Jesus talked about primarily in His ministry was the kingdom of God, right? Why, why what He talked about was the establishment of the kingdom of God, it's the realm, it's the, it's the vicinity, it's the dome owned over which God's active will is accomplished, right? And the church are people who are living in the kingdom of God, even though that kingdom of God is not yet visible. We are people who extend the kingdom of God out in ways that uh, people who aren't living under the rule and reign of Jesus can't quite see. We've talked about it in numerous ways over the over the past couple of weeks. But the significance of this story is that this story should give your life meaning, validity, and coherence as we live into the story of the Bible, as we live into what God longs to do, not just for you individually, but for the entirety of the world, for the entirety of the cosmos. But for us, and most important for us today in this place, in a local space in Cedar Falls, Iowa, what God longs to do for the people that you meet on a daily basis, what God longs to do in the place where you work, what God longs to do in the place where you get your coffee every morning, God longs to extend the kingdom of God in ways that are unimaginable in those places also. God longs for the kingdom of God to be extended outside the walls of the church and into our community in such a way that people would see and know the goodness and love of God, that they would be reconciled to Jesus in their hearts, and that goodness and grace would flow in that place. And by so doing, we are not just 
saving individual souls. We're doing that, and that's very good and valuable. But we are also contributing to this beautiful city that God will one day bring and crash into earth. We get to be a part of constructing, of telling the greatest story any of us will ever hear or know. And that's what is open to us. If we, if, if we live our lives in the light of the end, if we live our lives in the light of what will one day occur, if we hope for the day of the Lord Jesus Christ, where Jesus will be revealed as being all in all, and as we cling to that reality, we get to be a part, we get to partner with him in that very last thing he says in the entirety of the Bible, almost the last thing, behold, I am making all things new. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for bringing us here today. And we ask that as we go today, Father, as we, as we walk from this place, that you would uh, both inspire and ignite our hearts to be a part of your mission and plan in the world, that we would learn to live into the story that the Bible is telling of your plan to restore all things. God, I pray for each of us individually that we would all be agents of renewal and restoration in our general vicinity, God. Where there, are, where there is death, may, may we speak and be life. Where there uh, is uh, anything that is less than of your kingdom, God, may we be ambassadors of your kingdom out into the world. We love you, Jesus, and we long for this vision to take root in our hearts so that we can be your people and you can be our God and we can partake, even if it's a small part, in this big, grand, beautiful picture of what you are doing in the world. We thank you, Jesus, and we, uh, we ask that you would help us to live into this story today, even at Godfathers. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right. Well, thank you. Hey, look at those signs. So nice, except for the ones that Tim put cyclones on. Those ones were going to burn it with, with the leaves in the back of the church, except I, I see we have a cyclone fan here. Don't take it personally. Don't, don't take it personally. Don't take it personally. Anyways, um, thank you guys. I appreciate it. Go today in the grace and the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.